who is this king of glory, the Lord of hosts is his name. We recognize your greatness over all, God, that you are king of kings and lord of lords, that the, the nations will bow before you. You will rule them with a rod of iron, that there's none like unto you, that you have eyes like flame of fire, and you have all power and all authority given to you. So help us to recognize your greatness. And now, Lord, as we see your unfolding plans in history, your good plans for David, Though they were laced with turmoil and difficulty, they were also seasoned with grace as we see tonight. We thank you, God, for the kindness, your loving kindness you give to us in so many ways, despite the sufferings that we bear. So God, I just pray tonight that we'd be encouraged and built up and strengthened by your word, by your spirit, by one another, for your glory. Help us persevere this week, God, day by day. Uh, strengthen us in all the, the myriad of trials that we face and all the challenges that we deal with and our own sinful flesh, God. Give us strength tonight. Uh, give us help and give us joy, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight is 1 Samuel 20. Uh, if you want to be looking in your Old Testament for 1 Samuel 20, uh, where we find David uh, struggling. And, and what you have here is essentially... Uh, a picture of Saul's continued descent um, into unfaithfulness and his desire to kill David only magnifies and, and strengthens and continues in 1 Samuel chapter 20. Uh, so that's in the background. That's the context. Essentially, David's afflictions, uh, which are going to be with him really for the rest of his life. Uh, his, his afflictions, though they're about to turn up in inter intensity uh, after this chapter. Uh, David's on the run. He's, an, he's essentially a fugitive here. So that's the background. But really what this chapter is about and what emerges in this chapter, as I hope to show you tonight, is, the, is this idea of the covenant between Jonathan and David. This, this chapter really focuses on Jonathan's faithfulness to David because Jonathan wants to be faithful to the Lord. That's, that's, at, the, that's at the heart of this chapter as I'll show you. And it comes to us in this context of turmoil and affliction in David's life. And they find, and Jonathan gives David comfort in the covenant that he makes with him because he loves him and because he loves the Lord. So let's work through it here tonight. I'm going to do this a little bit different. What, one thing, if you notice chapter 20, this all goes together, so we've got to take it in one chunk. Uh, it's such a long chapter because what, one of the things the author does here is he intentionally builds drama. Uh, that's one of the things you get in these narrative texts. Uh, really, 1 Samuel, more than most other books, you get a lot of building of drama. And you have that in this chapter. And, and the drama is going to culminate, if you want to see where it, it's going, it's in chapter 20, verse 42. Then Jonathan said to David, go in peace. Go in peace. And after you read what David is going through, and you read what Jonathan says to him, for him to end the discussion with go in peace is, is just astounding. And it's because of this covenant of faithfulness. This covenant that, that Jonathan has pledged to David. Let's pick it up in chapter 20 and verse 1. Then David fled from Naoth and Ramah and came and said before Jonathan, What have I done? What is my guilt? What is my sin before your father? That he seeks my life. So, so notice here David's on the run. Uh, he's been running for a while now. He had been with Samuel in this place Naoth. Saul had tried to find him and kill him. Now he flees to Jonathan. He's evidently found out where Jonathan is, and he goes to Jonathan, and he's essentially asserting his innocence. 
You see, David is suffering and is afflicted by the king for, for no reason of his own. That he's, he's not given the king any justified reason to seek his life. Essentially, all David's done has been faithful <laughs> and, and, and brought great deliverance and great victory to God's people. And, and so he's befuddled, what have I done? Where is my guilt? What is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? So, so notice there's a lot of tension here, and you're going to see some tension between David and Jonathan in this chapter. And, and it really begins with this tension. Verse 2 goes on to say, and he said to him, far from it. And essentially, Jonathan is going to deny that Saul wants to kill him. Far from it. You shall not die. Behold. And essentially, the word behold means pay attention. Take note. It's kind of like an exclamation, if you will. Behold. My father does nothing, either great or small, without disclosing it to me. And why should my father hide this from me? It is not so. Now you see the tension there between the two friends. Why is your dad doing this? Why is this going on? Why is this happening? Jonathan's response, it is not so. Tension between David and Jonathan. This building of drama is setting up the value of the covenant between Jonathan and David. Verse 3, but David vowed again. So now, essentially, when, when you bring in a vow, you raise the intensity level essentially as high as it goes. If you invoke a vow in the Old Testament, you're essentially putting your life before God on the line. The God essentially says, it would, better, it would be better to not make a vow than to make a vow and break one. That essentially, making a vow and breaking one, it would be better if you were dead. That's how serious a vow like this is in the Old Testament. Essentially, David is using the strongest possible way to tell Jonathan, I'm telling the truth. Your father knows well that I have found favor in your eyes, and he thinks, do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, the, as the Lord lives, and there's the vow formula. He's vowing in the name of God. As the Lord lives, and the implication here would be, if this is not true, the Lord is not real. It's pretty strong. And as your soul lives... There is but a step between me and death. Now look at David's situation and how he understands it. There's a step between me and death. I'm almost a dead man because of your dad. Why? Verse 4, then Jonathan said to David, whatever you say I will do for you. Okay, so notice how the vow has changed the tone and the tenor of the argument or the discussion. Whatever you say I will do for you. Verse 5, David said to Jonathan, behold... Tomorrow is the new moon, and I should not fail to sit at table with the king. But let me go that I may hide myself in the field till the third day at evening. If your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asks leave of me to run to Bethlehem, his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the clan. If he says good, it will be well with your servant. But if he is angry then know that harm is determined by him. Therefore, deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. But if there is guilt in me, kill me yourself, for why should you bring me to your father? Now, first of all here, we see the plan to keep the covenant. We see the plan to keep the covenant. And that's what we're going to look at here until verse 23 verses 8 through 23 is they're coming up with a plan to keep the covenant and and here's where we need to take note of some some of the words here for you to understand what's going on 
Um, verse 8, therefore, so in, in, in conclusion to the fact that, that, that your dad is seeking my life, or let's find out, deal kindly with your servant. Now see the word kindly. This is, this is one of the most important words in the Old Testament. This is the, this is the word, essentially, in the Old Testament, this is the closest the Old Testament gets to the idea of grace. Um, it, it literally, the word means kindness given from God to people that they don't deserve. It is very similar to the New Testament idea of grace. The ESV typically translates this word steadfast love. The New American Standard translates it loving kindness. Uh, the NIV translates it love. The King James Version consistently translates this word mercy. That's the idea here. And that, that word is here. Now, this, as you read David's Psalms, is going to be the most common way David refers to God. So this, this is essentially David's favorite word, steadfast love. I don't know why they didn't translate it here like that. It's very unhelpful. He's, he's, he's invoking steadfast love from Jonathan. Jonathan, show me steadfast love to your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord. So notice what David is basing this need or this requirement for steadfast love upon, the fact of a covenant. Now you've got to just take a minute here and let me remind you what a covenant is. Very common in the Old Testament. God would make covenants with people. People would make covenants with one another. Um, David and Jonathan have made a covenant with one another. We'll look at that uh, in, in just a minute. A covenant is essentially a solemn agreement or a strong promise between two parties. Oftentimes, there are stipulations attached to that covenant, and we're going to see there's, there's a few in this chapter. The covenant is often, and, and this language of steadfast love is, is often connected with the idea of a covenant. So essentially, David's holding Jonathan to the covenant that he's made with him. If you go back to chapter 18, you can see it. Chapter 18 and beginning in verse 1. And notice the covenant is based on love. Chapter 18 and verse 1. And as soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. Now notice there, just, just to be a little technical here, Jonathan initiates this covenant. And guess what? Who is in higher rank here? Jonathan is in higher rank. In chapter 18, Jonathan goes on to give David his sword, which is very unusual. That's why in our text, chapter 20, notice what David calls himself three times. It will be well with your servant, verse 7. Verse 8, therefore deal kindly with your servant. So notice David calling himself your servant. Deal kindly with your servant, for if you have brought your servant into a covenant. Now notice what this, who this covenant is with. It's with the Lord. So the covenant is between Jonathan and David, but it's before the Lord. And we're going to see that come back in in just a minute. Essentially, the Lord is the witness. The Lord is the witness here. Therefore, you better not break this covenant. Very serious matter here. Um, and it calls for love. John, David essentially says, if there's any guilt in me, go ahead and kill me yourself. Look at what verse 9 says here. And Jonathan said, far be it from you. For if I knew that it was determined by my father that harm should come to you, would I not tell you? Then David said to Jonathan, Who will tell me if your father answers you roughly? And Jonathan said to David, Come, let us go out into the field. So they both went out into the field. We're in 1 Samuel chapter 20. 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 12. And now we're going to see they're come, going to come up with this plan 
for Jonathan to signal David as to whether Saul really does want to kill him or whether Saul is looking approvingly upon David. So let's look at their plan, beginning in verse 12. Jonathan said to David, The Lord, the God of Israel, be witness. By the way, that's covenantal language. When I have sounded out my father about this time tomorrow or the third day, behold, if it is well disposed toward David, shall I not then send and disclose it to you? But should it please my father to do you harm, the Lord do so to Jonathan, and more also, if I do not disclose it to you and send you away, that you may go in safety. Essentially, Jonathan's promising if, if I find my, my father is out to kill you, I'm going to send you away. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. Now look at verse 14. And here's where this language picks back up. But it's altered a little bit. And this is part of the key to understanding this passage. Verse 14. If I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. Do you see what Jonathan just did? He just made the same request of David that David made of him earlier in verse 8. Look back to verse 8. Therefore, deal kindly or give steadfast love to your servant. Now look what Jonathan does. In verse 14, he turns it around. If I'm still alive, show me steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. You see, Jonathan is clued in to something that is going to take place. Jonathan is clued in to the fact that the Lord is going to bring David into the kingship. And you see what Jonathan does here. He invokes the steadfast love of the Lord. He invokes this covenant they've made to say, David, in light of this covenant we've made with one another, when you come into the power that the Lord is going to give you, please do not eliminate my family which, by the way, was the custom and the norm in the ancient world when one king would take over. Essentially, this is amazing grace. This is amazing grace. Um, let's go on to read what, what, it, what it says here, verse 18. Then Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. So what you, look what you, what you have here. You have the family of the present king helping the future king stay alive. That is utterly atypical of the way human relations in that day and time functioned. The family of the king was to be loyal to the king and the king alone. Why? Because they were next in line for power. Essentially, your family stays in power. You keep all the benefits and the luxuries of being in the family of the king. The other guy, the other family takes power. Guess what happens to your family? They're all eliminated systematically. Heads cut off, things like that. Terrible, tragic things. So look at this amazing grace that, that, that Jonathan asks of David and that David pledges to him in covenant. This is why later, many of you know, Mephibosheth is going to be spared because of this covenant between Jonathan and David. And here's the plan in verse 18. Just amazing grace there in the Old Testament. Then Jonathan said to him, Tomorrow is the new moon, and you will be missed, because your seat will be empty. On the third day, go down quickly to the place where you will hide yourself when the matter was in hand, and remain beside the stone heap. And I will shoot three arrows to the side of it, as though I shot at a mark. And behold, I will send the boy, saying, Go find the arrows. If I say to the boy, Look, the arrows are on the side of you. Take them. Then you are to come, for the, as the Lord lives. It is safe for you, and there is no danger." 
But if I say to the youth, look, the arrows are beyond you, then go, for the Lord has sent you away. And as for the matter of which you and I have spoken, behold, the Lord is between you and me forever. Do you see that recurring theme, the Lord is between you and me forever? That's this idea of faithfulness to the covenant. That they are going to be faithful to one another. Why? Because of the Lord. Not because of some mere agreement. Not because of a piece of paper, and there wasn't a piece of paper most likely. But because of the Lord. Because they recognize the significance of God and his truthfulness and who he is and what it means to make a covenant with one another before God and how significant that is. But now notice, notice how Jonathan words this. And you find this all through the Old Testament. It is simply how they interpret history and how they interpret the events of life. And we would be wise to learn from them. That essentially, if, if, if the events transpire, of which Jonathan and David have no control over, that if Saul wants to kill David, look at how Jonathan words his language in verse 22. Look, the arrows are behind you, then go, for the Lord has sent you away. Jonathan interprets this as the work of the Lord to remove David from that place. And that's exactly what's going to happen. And if you remember from chapter 19, that's what chapter 19 is setting up. Where the Lord sets, sends this evil spirit to torment tall Saul, which leads to Saul's anger, which leads to David becoming a fugitive. This is the Lord's planning and working before us. And, and Jonathan here interprets these events as such. The Lord has sent you away. Now, that's the plan to keep the covenant. This is what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to work it out. Here's how we're going to find out if Saul really is your enemy. Now we're going to see the cost of the covenant to Jonathan. This friendship, this commitment to David is costly to Jonathan. Pick it up in verse 24. So David hid himself in the field. And when the new moon came, the king sat down to eat food. The king sat on his seat, as at other times, on the seat by the wall. Jonathan sat opposite. That's an important fact. So you've got the king on essentially one, one side of the table. Opposite the king is his son, Jonathan. Abner sat by Saul's side, but David's place was empty. Essentially, this is like the president and his cabinet. This is the king, his main general, and his family. And David's included in that amazingly. Verse 26, yet Saul did not say anything that day, for he thought something has happened to him. He is not clean. Surely he is not clean. That's talking about David. Verse 27, but on the second day, the day after the new moon, David's place was empty. And Saul said to Jonathan, his son, why has not the son of Jesse come to the meal either yesterday or today? Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked, leave of me to go to Bethlehem. He said, let me go for our clan holds a sacrifice in the city. And my brother has commanded me to be there. So now if I have found favor in your eyes, let me get away and see my brothers. For this reason, he has not come to the king's table. Verse 28 and 29, let's just take a pause there. And let me, let me give you, uh, let me make a comment here about the Bible that I think will help you as you stu study the scripture. The Bible records historical events. The Bible does not always recommend or commend what happens. Jonathan is lying here. This is a lie. This is not true. This is a fabrication concocted by David and propagated by Jonathan. Here you have a case of the Bible recording, not recommending, this course of action. So just keep that in mind. We're dealing with sinners when we're dealing with the Bible other than the Lord Jesus Christ, right? When, when you deal with men in the Bible, you're dealing with sinners. This, these are the only people God works with. This is an instance of sin that is going to play out and work out in God's plan. But keep in mind, the Bible here is not commending deception. Though you do have an example of a deception here in this passage. It's simply recording 
what took place. All right, moving on. Look at Saul's response. And you have a, you have a contrast here between Saul and Jonathan. Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan. And he said to him, You son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? Which, by the way, is a, essentially invoking a curse on it. This is a pretty strong way to talk to your child. Now look at why Saul is so angry. The very next sentence. For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. You see what Saul appeals to? He appeals to the fear of man. He appeals to his desire for Jonathan to rule after him, which we already know is not God's plan or God's purpose. Now, here's one of the amazing things about Jonathan. Jonathan knows this, but yet Jonathan does not seize upon it. Let's continue reading. Therefore, send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Now, look at what Saul says there. Here's another case of the Bible recording something that is not going to take place. He will surely die. Wrong, Saul. Proverbs 21.30 says there is no counsel, there is no understanding, and there is no plan that can avail against the Lord. Saul, it's the Lord's plans that are established and that will be, not yours. He will not surely die. That's just an interesting aside. Now look at Jonathan's reaction, verse 32. Then Jonathan answered Saul, his father. Why should he be put to death? What has he done? Very similar to the way the chapter began. So now you see Jonathan essentially echoing what David said at the very beginning, asserting his innocence. Innocence. Here we have the affliction of an innocent. Why? Why should this be, take place? Verse 33. Now keep in mind, Jonathan is sitting opposite Saul. But Saul hurled, hurled his spear at him to strike him. So Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good sign. Verse 34. And Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month. For he was grieved for David because his father had disgraced him. So notice the responses here. How does Saul respond when, David, when Jonathan asks him this question? With fierce anger. How does Jonathan respond when this takes place? Fierce anger. Now, now do you see the cost of this covenant to Jonathan? Do you see the cost? His father just hurled a spear at him. Now, now think for just a moment about Jonathan is next in line for the throne. And, and Jonathan chooses faithfulness to David rather than the ultimate career advancement. This is astounding. Jonathan here, you see, is not driven by his personal ambition. He has the, he has the highest reason in the kingdom to be driven by personal ambition, yet what's he driven by? Friendship. Loyalty. To David and to God, not in that order. Kindness, loving kindness, faithfulness to a covenant he made. Faithfulness to the covenant with David is more important than ascending to the throne for this guy. What an astounding picture of loyalty. There's the cost of the covenant for Jonathan. Now let's see the commitment to the covenant in the last verses. Here's, the, here's how the commitment shakes out. Verse 35. In the morning, Jonathan went out into the field to the appointment with David and with him a little boy and said to the boy, run and find the arrows that I shoot. And as the boy ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. And when the boy came to the place of the arrow that Jonathan had shot, Jonathan called after the boy and said, is not the arrow beyond you? And Jonathan called after the boy, hurry, be quick, do not stay. So Jonathan's boy gathered up his arrows and came to his master, but the boy knew nothing. 
Only Jonathan and David knew of the matter. And Jonathan gave his weapons to his boy and said to him, go and carry them to the city. Now, yeah, you know, why this bizarre, this seemingly unusual ritual here to, to send this message to David? Well, because at the time they made the plan, Jonathan probably would have been unlikely if the, uh, un, Jonathan would have not known if some of his father's associates may have been with him. So he needed essentially some kind of a secret signal to let David know, either know my father's okay with you or know my father's against you. So they devised a signal. But since none of Saul's associates are there with him, they're able to, to come together personally. Verse 41, here's the commitment of the covenant. As soon as the boy had gone, David rose from beside the stone heap and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times. There's a, there's a, that's an expression of commitment to, to Jonathan's position. And they kissed one another and wept for one another, David weeping the most. By the way, just as an aside, I'll go ahead and deal with this just for a minute. Um, there are people that take this friendship and these covenants uh, between Jonathan and David to be, uh, this is an inappropriate relationship that Jonathan and David are pursuing. First of all, obviously that's condemned in the Old Testament. There's no evidence of that in the text. Second of all, men kissing in the Old Testament was not as unusual as it, as it is in our culture and in our day. Third of all, I would just say the people that would assert that do not understand friendship. They don't understand what it means to have your soul entwined with another person of the same sex, which can happen without transgressing boundaries the scripture would set up. It's just simply a deep friendship expressed by a covenant of faithfulness before the Lord. So my answer to those people that would assert that is, no, you just don't understand friendship. And that's, that's a little bit, <laughs> it's true. I have, I've had friends like that. Not that I've kissed, but again, that's just because of my culture. But certainly, I still have friends that my soul is knit together with in such a way. Verse 42, Jonathan said to David, go in peace. Now, now just think of that. The powers of the kingdom are out to kill him. Go in peace. Because we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying the Lord shall be between me and you and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And he arose and departed and Jonathan went into the city. Just a few final points of application. <clears throat> One of the things I think you, we can learn from this is when you're afflicted to turn to a faithful friend that you can invoke steadfast love upon. This is one of the ways God has given us to deal with severe affliction in life, friends. And again, it's my view and my belief that the best friends that we have, the family that we have, we should, we should have within the church. Um, certainly going to your spouse, if, that, it, that, that if you have a spouse, it's a gift from God. If you have a husband or a wife, it's, it's a blessing and a gift from God. That should be the first person that we turn to in life when we face affliction. Prideful, uh, arrogant, self-dependent people like me have a hard time doing that. Um, but that's unwise. You, you, see in the, you see in the example of a man of vigilance and strength and power like David, turning to a friend. And later David is going to turn to his wives for help as well, like Abigail. 
Certainly we should turn to our wives or our husbands when we face affliction and trial. That covenant that you've made with that person. The Old Testament, the Old Testament frames the idea of marriage in terms of a covenant. That's something I think that we've lost in tradition throughout the progression of our history and our culture and, and our breed of Christianity is this high view of covenant. And uh, the, the, the understanding that a marriage is a covenant. That's why you take vows in a marriage. Uh, that is, those are essentially, that's a covenant formula. But anyway, that's another matter. But obviously, most importantly, in affliction, we turn to God. And the steadfast love that he has pledged to us. You see, David and Jonathan pledging steadfast love to one another. Amazing. And they Jonathan keeps it even though his father hurls a spear at him. David keeps it, even though it's against all customs and norms of the day. David's people and his military and his advisors are going to think he's nuts when he's going to bring in one of Saul's family to his table. It's just utterly bizarre. Friends, if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, you're in a covenant with God. You're in a covenant relationship with God. And God has pledged his steadfast love to you. This is going to be... one of the anchors that gets David through life. And this is why when you read David's Psalms, this is his favorite way to speak about God, is of God's steadfast love. This is David's favorite adjective for God. This is David's favorite word in the Psalms to talk about God, steadfast love. And it is a covenantal word. So whenever you are afflicted, and we know we will be afflicted, especially if we're innocently afflicted, We go to our covenant father who has saved us and we recognize his steadfast love will never fail. If two men can do that, who are in the bonds of strong friendship, how much more can and should we do that who have an everlasting bond through covenant with the holy God who has pledged his steadfast love to us and given his spirit to us as a guarantee? Proven that steadfast love to us. God demonstrates his love to us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Moving on. How in the world can Jonathan say to David, go in peace, when David is in the throes of turmoil? Think of the context David comes to Jonathan in this chapter. Things are not going well for David here. Read chapter 19. And and by the way, they're going to get worse. And And Jonathan, his best friend, his last words to him here as he's departing, essentially going into exile, go in peace. How is that possible in the midst of conflict and affliction and suffering? Well, it's possible because there is one area in David's life that does have peace, and that's his peace with God and his peace with Jonathan. Go to Romans 5. There's a a similar idea in Romans 5, beginning in verse 1. Romans 5, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So there's the peace that we have because we've been saved. Now, let's continue reading. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. You see what that says? Verse 1, peace with God. Verse 3, sufferings. Peace with God. 
sufferings. Jonathan speaking to David who's going into the valley of the shadow of death, peace. How? Because of the loving kindness of Jonathan and of the Lord. How do you spell peace in the midst of affliction is the way one person puts it. You spell it covenant. And we rely on God's covenant when we're afflicted. Just two little songs. I'm not going to sing them, of course, um, that we sing here uh, to, to show you. The hymn writers understood this. Uh, the song by the Gettys, uh, Stand on Every Promise of Your Word. For your covenant is sure of this, and on this I am secure. I can stand on every promise of your word. God's covenant is sure. Or his oath, his covenant, his blood support me in the whelming flood. Don't you see that principle in 1 Samuel 20? Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your covenant with us through Christ because of his spilled blood. The covenant that you will write your law on our hearts. That won't merely be external, but will be internalized by your power. And God, the fact that our sins and our iniquities you will remember no more. God, help us to rejoice in this amazing truth that through Christ our sins are forgiven. They're taken away. They're not held against us. We thank you, Lord, for forgiving our sins. Now help us to sing in response to this glorious truth in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and, friends, know that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He was raised powerfully from the dead. The call and the command is to repent of your sins, to turn from sins, and to trust in Jesus Christ our Lord. And through trusting in Jesus, you enter into an eternal covenant with God that is greater than other covenants. It's an eternal covenant that cannot and will not be broken. It's through faith in Jesus, initiated by Jesus shedding his blood. And part of that covenant is your sins and your iniquities, he will remember no more. Friends, our sins and our iniquities, they're red like scarlet. They are like a mountain. They are, they are monotonous and consistent. More consistent than anything in our life is the fact of our regular sinfulness. Yet because of Christ, God will remember them no more. Now friends, that's a reason to sing. And if you're here and you haven't believed in Christ, that's a reason to repent of your sin and trust him and ask him to save you.